As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the women that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when, I come, when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Um, last night, uh Claire, my wife and I went over to uh, the Omniplex there in Dundonald um, to watch a movie. Doesn't sound like the ideal preparation for Easter uh, weekend for a, a minister, maybe. But, but actually, we went to watch the, the Mary Magdalene film, which uh, has just come out this year. Um, maybe some of you have seen it. Uh, or maybe you're planning to go and see it. I'll not say too much about it. Um, one thing that struck me is in the portrayal of Jesus and his disciples, uh, there's a really strong sense that his disciples didn't seem to understand him. 
And that t took a, a wee bit for me watching that, took a wee bit to get my head around. Even after they'd been with Jesus for, for three years, all of his public ministry, they still didn't seem to know what he was up to or what he was all about. Well, as I had a look at these passages that we've been reading uh, here together uh, this evening, and particularly the one that Johnny read, the one that focuses on the, the scene around the death of Jesus in Luke's gospel, it, it turns out that the, the, the filmmakers have got this right. A lot of people standing around the cross of Jesus Christ didn't know what was going on. Luke goes to, to great lengths to spell that out for us. All the people did uh, that, uh, that day really was, was mock him and abuse him. Luke tells us, verse 35, the people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36, we're told that the soldiers are mocking him with similar taunts. Then it's the turn of one of the criminals uh, who's been crucified beside him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Jesus is being crucified and being abused from all sides. Bear in mind too that, that the, the crucifixion comes at the end of a long day where he's uh, been subject to all sorts of, of trouble and abuse. Uh, it's been a real ordeal. It started at dawn. Uh, they, they bullied him. There was that game of blind man's buff where they blindfolded him and, and struck him. It continued with both Pilate's and Herod's guards, professional hard men. They would have known how to give a guy a rough time. Then there was the abuse from the, the spectators as he was led out of the city. You can only imagine what a crowd shouted at its criminals as they were dragged off to be executed. Uh, and finally here, as, as we've already said on the cross, the, the abuse just keeps coming. Call yourself a Messiah? Well then, come down from the cross. How can you save us if you can't even save yourself? Folks, this is the thing that's really stood out for me this year, reading these um, crucifixion narratives in Luke's gospel. It's this idea that Jesus was entirely misunderstood. I want you to think about that for a second. Have you ever had the experience of maybe serving sacrificially, really spending yourself on somebody's behalf, or suffering a huge injustice? It's bad, terrible. And in those moments, everything within us cries out for someone, even one person, to, to understand us, to see what we're going through, to, to understand what's going on. Actually, in those, those hard moments in life, if you've experienced them, you'll know that that kind of understanding from even one person can go a long way to, to make it bearable to make those sacrifices, that suffering, those burdens worthwhile. Well, on the cross, Jesus didn't have any of that. 
He had people who couldn't see what he was doing, who couldn't see what was going on, and in fact they were mocking him and abusing him while he was suffering for them. Can you imagine the heartache? I've said that nobody really understood what was going on. That's maybe not 100% accurate. Luke shows us that a couple of people at least had some small idea um, of, of something that was going on that day. A couple of people that day were clear about one thing at least, and that is that Jesus didn't deserve to die. So have the other criminal, the second criminal, verse 40, he says, this man's done nothing wrong. And then we have the Roman centurion who's, who's overseen all of this, who's watched Jesus die, and he says, surely this was a righteous man. I've no real sense that they know what's going on, but they at least know this much, that this is not the ordinary death of a deserving criminal. Jesus doesn't deserve this agonizing and shameful death. Nobody understood what was going on, except only one person, the bruised and the battered one, the one breathing out his last on that cross. You wouldn't think it to look at him, but he's the one who's in control. We've been, uh, if you're a guest with us this evening, it, it might help you to know, we've been looking at the, the stories of Jesus' last days over the, the last few weeks in our church services. And, and one thing that we've seen is that Luke tells us that Jesus didn't arrive in Jerusalem by accident. He didn't fall into the hands of, of the religious rulers and into the hands of the Roman authorities by accident. Luke is very clear that Jesus is in control of all of these events. Jesus went to the cross only because he'd chosen to. He's ended up helplessly pinned there only because he directed the hands of those who drove the nails through his wrists and his ankles. We've said that he's in control and that he knows what he's doing. And surely that begs the question, what is he doing? Why is he choosing to give his life in this horrific way? Jesus' own words from the cross probably give us as good a clue as we need. While they're crucifying him, he, he prays for his oppressors and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I suppose the natural way to read those words is to say, well, they're, they're for that moment. He's praying for these particular men who are, are driving uh, the nails, who are pinning his body to, to that wood. But that prayer could just as easily hold for the entire human race. They don't know what they're doing. They're lost. Father, will you forgive them? It shouldn't really be any surprise to those of us who have maybe heard this story of Jesus and paid attention to it 
to find that Jesus ends his life by praying that his father will forgive men and women all that he came to forgive us. This, this is why this God-man came into the world in the first place. Call him Jesus, the angel told Joseph before Mary's son was ever even born, because he'll save his people from their sins. So while his enemies are ending his life, killing the Son of God, while they're doing that, not knowing what they're doing, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing when he went there to be killed. He knew what it would take to stop evil and to forgive the sin of the world. Gail Webb, a long-serving priest, once put it like this. He said, there are dozens of ways to deal with evil and several ways to conquer it. All of them are facets of the truth that the only ultimate way to conquer evil is to let it be smothered within a willing human being. When it is absorbed there, like blood in a sponge or a spear into one's heart, it loses its power and it goes no further. The only way to stop evil from bouncing from one person to the next and to the next and wreaking havoc and, and destroying everything in its wake is for somebody to stand and to, to take it. And to say that when the evil comes to me, I won't bounce it on to the next person. I, I won't magnify it and, and escalate it and make it even worse. I'll take it. That's what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. The sin of the world, that spear stopped in the heart of Jesus Christ. So that I can be and you can be forgiven. I want to think just for a few more moments about Jesus' death on the cross and I want to think about why, you know, there's something weird about this day, isn't there? We call it Good Friday. Like, is that, is that the worst title you could give this day? We're, we're here, this is a, a memorial service. We're thinking of someone dying. What, what's good about this day? That's what I want to think about with you for a second. Why do we call this Good Friday when, when Jesus Christ, whom we love, our Savior, has died? We've been thinking a, a lot here in Kirkpatrick over these last months about the, the Reformation, what we, what we can learn from the Reformers. Uh, you maybe know that in 2017 there was a big uh, anniversary, 500 years since uh, Martin Luther famously put what we call the, the Reformation, that big movement uh, in motion. Martin Luther was a guy who, who learned to understand what was at the heart of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I want to, to share a little bit with you of what he learned and he discovered. He knew better than most what's good about Good Friday. 
There's a, a sermon he preached in, 19, in 1545. I don't think he preached any in 1945. Um, a sermon he preached in 1545, about 30 years after he first made a discovery of what, what Jesus' work on the cross means for a person. And this is how he talked about it 30 years later. He said, This immediately made me feel as if I'd been born again, as if I'd entered through open doors into paradise itself. I love the way Luther describes his experience of coming to understand God's grace. He feels like he's been born again. That's, that's not an unusual phrase for people to use when they talk about being turned around to the grace of God, being converted to understand what Jesus has done for them. He says he's entered through open gates. Of course he does. Because that's what Jesus' death does. It flings open the doors. In the, the passage, I don't know if you noticed it, Luke does a really interesting thing. He tells us about Jesus dying on the cross, but then, a bit like a film director, he cuts scene and jumps over to the other side of the city, to the, the temple, and he shows us what happens there in the temple. There's this, there's this huge curtain, and it's, it's a curtain between the, the place where, where priests can come and offer sacrifices, and then the Holy of Holies, the place where only one priest can come one time a year. It's such a holy place, identified with the presence of God, that human beings just can't be there. The curtain, a big no-entry sign that says, men and women, people like you and me, cannot be with God. Well, Jesus Christ dies on the cross, and guess what happens? The curtain rips, and it's ripped from top to bottom, and it's as though God's saying, throw that door open. Jesus Christ has died. The gates are now open, and they're staying open. And any man or woman, boy or girl, can come to me because of what's happened over there on that hill Calvary. Luther said it's like gates being thrown open. He said it's like entering into paradise itself. It surely is. Even those who've lived the worst kind of life and who are, who are dying the worst kind of death, like, like this criminal dying beside Jesus, whenever he showed even the smallest bit of interest in Jesus, whenever he showed the first bit of desire to, to live uh, under Jesus' beautiful rule, what is it Jesus says to him? I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. It's like the gates are thrown open and we're ushered into paradise. Luther said it, but only after we read it in Luke's gospel. Folks, Luther wasn't the only person who came to understand what, what's good about Good Friday. A few years later in England, when William Tyndall would uh, call this message, this message of salvation by grace, God's grace, he called it merry, glad, and joyful tidings that maketh a man's heart glad and maketh him sing, dance, and leap for joy. 
sing, dance, and leap for joy. Those of you who were with us uh, during our Reformation 500 series when we were thinking about these things in our evening services might, might recognize some of what I'm choosing to share here just now. I, I took, took the liberty to, to share a little bit more of, of Luther's ideas around what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Luther talked about how it was possible for God, a perfect and pure God, to accept sinful men and women, like me and like you. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he, he boiled it down to, or came up with this idea of what he called the joyful exchange. Here's what's good about Good Friday. Think of the joyful exchange. In the joyful exchange, Jesus Christ takes on himself everything that I am and he gives to me everything that he is. Okay? Now that's a great swap. That is a great swap. He takes everything that I am and gives me everything that he is. One of Luther's favorite ways of talking about this was to talk about our life with God in terms of a marriage. So he told this, he told the gospel story as the story of a, a rich and divine bridegroom, Christ. And he marries a, a poor, wicked harlot. And he redeems her from her evil life and he adorns her with all his goodness. So at the wedding, if you think about it, a wonderful exchange takes place. The king takes on, if you marry somebody, like you, you sort of take on who they are and their reputation, if you like. So the king takes on the, the shame and all the debts of his bride. And, and the harlot, she receives his, his wealth and his royal status. For Jesus in the, the soul that comes together with him, it works like this. Jesus is full of grace and of life and of salvation. My soul is full of sin and death and damnation. But whenever faith comes between us, I get his grace, life and salvation and he takes my sin, death and damnation. He does that on the cross. Folks, if, if this is true, if this is what's happening when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, if, if this is the thing that nobody got that day, but that God in his mercy has revealed to us and has shown to us, then this is at the heart of our Good Friday remembrance. This is what's good about Good Friday, this joyful exchange. My sin, my punishment, my death, Jesus takes them and he gives me his perfection, his pardon, and his life. Folks, Luther's right. He says it's like, it's enough to make us feel like we've been born again. 
like the gates of heaven have been thrown open and we've entered into paradise itself. Folks, we started by wondering what's good about Good Friday. I don't think the name does it justice. It's better than that. This is the best day of all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've just seen in your word that nobody really understood what was going on when you went to the cross. We've thought again about how your best friends misunderstood you. Uh, they wanted something different from you. They wanted you to give them a, a better politic. They wanted to, them, you to give them uh, maybe a, a more comfortable life. I, I don't know. Jesus, thank you that you looked beyond what we wanted from you and you gave us the thing that we so desperately need. You didn't deal and trade on the surface of things. You went to the heart of things. You knew that we were lost, that we were far from you, that we were in a place where we were only ever under your father's judgment and were in danger of losing out on his presence forever. Thank you that you reached down to us, that you took all of our sin, our guilt and our shame and made it yours on the cross. Lord, help us to walk out of here and to say, I'm forgiven. Everything is all right with me because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said, Father, forgive him or her because he doesn't know what he's doing and neither does she. And Lord, help us to see the other half of this joyful exchange. You not only take our rubbish from us but you give us all of your beauty in its place Lord help us this good Friday and this Easter season to accept the joyful exchange that Jesus came to bring we pray it in Jesus name Amen